your work life, all of our work lives. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. As you probably well know, the workplace is rife with landmines. Ticklish situations. Say the wrong thing, your job goes up in smoke, or at least you get knocked down a few notches. And in those ticklish situations, it's often very easy to get not only nervous, but downright tongue-tied. Of course, the right thing to say varies with the situation and varies with the protagonist, but maybe these examples can be instructive. Well, one, of course, is you're wanting better pay, whether you're interviewing for the job or in your compensation review You know, they always talk about win-win negotiation. Well, it's often possible when negotiating non-cash items. But when it comes to your rate of pay, that is your salary, negotiation tends to be a zero-sum game. Because for every dollar that you extract from the employer, it's a dollar less that the employer has. So you might use one of these two openers that can really put the ball in your court Because you're not as used to negotiating as that employer is who does it day in and day out with a zillion other employers. So, early in the interview or the salary review, right after the boss boss praises you or nods in agreement, that very first moment, early on, before they start to ask you, what are you looking for? How much money are you looking? You then say, as soon as they've nodded, as soon as they've praised you, ask, uh, so what is the range you're anticipating paying me? You see, that avoids your lowballing yourself or pricing yourself out. The other approach is to say something like this. In light of what I've done in the past, and then I want you to hand your boss a bulleted list of accomplishments, especially those that yielded profit. And by the way, that can occur in a nonprofit as well. The lifeblood of even nonprofits is money. So if you save them money in processes, you raise money, whatever, that counts. So... In light of what I've done in the past, and you show that bulleted list of accomplishments, and you say, in light of what I'm likely to do in the coming months, and you might also show a list of those, a little bullet list of three or four of those, and in light of these comparable salaries, and you show a little list of those, you then say, it seems that my pay should be X. And you make it on the high side of fair, so there's room to negotiate, but you're not being unreasonable. Those two approaches can put the odds in your favor in that ticklish situation of when you're trying to get more money. The next ticklish situation I want to talk about is when you have a coworker or a supervisee who you really feel needs improvement. Let's say your supervisee just thinks poorly, not a good thinker, and therefore writes poorly. Of course, thinking skills are difficult to improve, but your best shot at encouraging that improvement might be to say something like, for example, uh, as other people have suggested, your memos to the staff haven't been as well-reasoned or concise as they could be. I'd like to be of help. Uh, Would you prefer that I review a memo and note some suggested changes, maybe using words track changes feature? Or would you prefer that we review a memo together with me explaining the thinking behind the changes I'll suggest? You see, giving two choices, both of which are acceptable to you, allow that person, who's being criticized and obviously is going to feel somewhat defensive, 
It allows that person to retain some agency, some sense of choice, some sense of control, and in turn, some measure of self-esteem, which makes them less likely to lash back at you. What do you mean my stuff isn't good? It's really very good. My friend, my colleague says this is great. So at least there is, you know, when we're dealing with human beings, not electrons, there is no predictability. But you can only increase the chances of, there is predictability, but there's no surety, there's no guarantees. All we can do when you're dealing with human beings, we're messy. We human beings are messy. All we can do is improve the odds. The third ticklish situation that I want to talk about is when you are in a position of having to fire someone. That, of course, is among the most difficult things that a boss has to do. Now, it isn't as tough if the employee is part of a large layoff. That's less of an indictment of the person. But if you believe it's wise to terminate a person, fire an individual, that's tough. And it's a litigation minefield. But what I'm going to recommend you do is rather than immediately jumping to what the legal department or the HR department say, progressive discipline, you know, you here's 30 days, you got to do this, we're, we're unsatis- dissatisfied, here's 30 more days, and final warning, all that. That tends to create a tremendous amount of oppositionality. And also the person calling the lawyer, and now you've got stress galore. So normally I recommend that if there's a person you feel you need to terminate, it's wise to first try to counsel out the person. That can avoid the time the money, the inordinate stress of, for example, being accused of racism and sexism, hostile environment. And the reason those are so often accused of, those are the most protected, legally protected grounds that an employee can claim. Now, of course, sometimes it's true, but sometimes it's not. But certainly being accused of it is inordinately stressful. So here's an example of the kind of language you might use. Here's what you might do. If I was the boss and I was having this person I felt really should be terminated, I would take the person out for coffee, maybe just in the break room or out to lunch, whatever feels right. It's a feeling thing. Again, we're human beings. We're not machines. So you've got to use your, your gut to intuition. You take the person out for coffee or lunch, and after a reasonable amount of bonding small talk, say something like... Um, Pat, you know, I really appreciate much of the work you've done for us. You've, uh, you've fostered esprit de corps. You've enabled the team to avoid getting overwhelmed amid the stress. You've even made the break room more attractive. Unfortunately, the job requires excellence in other crucial areas. For example, effectively problem-solving internally and with external clients. And despite my efforts to coach you on that, I really have concluded that this is the wrong job for you. I would like to try to help you find a better suited position by writing a strong letter recommendation that vividly portrays your strengths. What do you think? No guarantees, again, but that reduces the probability of it turning into this uh, litigious, screaming match, stressful, expensive, time-consuming thing. And um, it's it's also kinder to the person in a way. And it's kinder to you. And, of course, if that doesn't work, you can always initiate the progressive discipline procedure. I want to go to the phones in a minute and invite you to call if you've got a work-related problem, whether it's a tickler situation or simply any kind of career-related problem. But there's one more I want to share first before we go to the phones. I have a total of nine here, but uh, I've, I've given three so far. Like when you're asking for good pay, 
when you're having to suggest a need for a coworker or a supervisor to improve, and when you have feel that you really should terminate somebody. But the next one is uh, you're being ghosted. Let's say you've applied for a job. They said they'd get back to you in a week, and it's been two weeks. You might try something like, and it just, by the way, it doesn't have to be just when you're applying for a job. Very often a coworker or your boss says they'll get back to you about X. So this, this kind of language that I'm about to share with you could apply in those situations too. I w- the language would be something like, you would mention you'd get back to me in a week. And I would do this in an email so he or she is not forced to, you know, be de- doesn't get defensive on the spot. It's a little time to reflect. Uh, you would mention you'd get back to me in a week. I understand how things can get in the way. But like any responsible person I'm following up, is there any news? I can say that reflecting on the job interview, I'm more interested in the position than ever. So that's a way of allowing the person to save face again. We live especially here, I have found in California, as opposed to New York where I started my first 23 years. There is a tremendous need. You have to, even when you're criticizing, you must generally allow the person to save face or they will exert retribution, right? So by saying, you know, uh, I understand how things can get in the way. But like any responsible person I'm following, it's not saying I'm a pest, where the hell have you been? You're, you're really, you, we, we have to in today's world, especially, I am finding people are ever more on a hair trigger and you have to be extremely careful You must do what I call California couching. You've got to couch even the most fierce criticism normally in face-saving terms. Okay. Um, All right. I'll give out the phone number now. So if uh, you're listening to work with Marty Nemco here on KALW, if you have a work-related problem, especially, for example, if you're dealing with a particular situation with a boss, with a coworker, with a customer, uh, anybody... Um, I do what are called workovers here at KELW, and the price is certainly right. Zero, zippo, nada, whatever your career problem, um, I'm happy to take a shot at um, at helping you. The phone number, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Another of these ticklish situations that occurs at work is when you are in the you're pressured to buy. Very often there's business-to-business sales. Even in the nonprofit sector, there's somebody selling their software to you. There's somebody selling something to you, and you're being pressured. Now, I, I don't know about you. Uh, this is, I like to buy based on my own independent research and thought, especially given how much information is available on the Internet, not because some salesperson who is well-trained in the psychology of extracting money from their marks. Of course, I mean, well, if I got a telemarketing call, I just hang up without even saying a word. I used to say, uh, put me on the do not call list, but that doesn't work. But if it's a salesperson or a fundraiser or anybody, uh, except in the rare cases where their input is at least as valuable as what I could get from the Internet, I don't leave any opening. I'll say something like, not interested, just like that, to cut it off. And if they push further, as some salesmen have been still trained to do that ridiculous old hard sell pushy thing, close, 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 like Glenn Gary Ross, if they push further, I might say something like, well, I'm sorry, but I almost never respond to salespeople. My decisions are based on independent research. And now, to save both you and me time, bye. Right? So, you know, I'm leaving them not a, a scintilla of opening because they are masters at taking that crack of an opening and asking you questions to get you talking, more questions, and hear your objection and counter your objections. You don't even want to get them started. It's a minefield. It's, it's quicksand, and you're going to get swallowed up by it. Okay. 
Another example of a ticklish situation that often occurs at work is that a person won't stop talking. Many people are long-winded. To be really honest, as I always try to be here with you, my dear listeners, many people are long-winded because they're just not intelligent enough to edit while they're speaking. They just they can't quite edit well on the fly. Or because they're talking to get clearer about something that they're thinking about. And they, you know, very often uh, talking aloud will help you get clear. Or because, frankly, they're just too self-absorbed to care whether they're imposing on you or not. So most often, after maybe a minute, I will tend to interrupt such a person and redirect the conversation. If the reason they're long-winded is I think they seem unable to be concise, I might, at the end of one of their sentences, say, I might summarize, say, so in essence you're saying X. I'm wondering, and then you insert a question, so it, it makes it a conversation. It doesn't allow them to keep lecturing forever. If I believe their long-windedness is caused by selfishness or obliviousness to my needs, I might interrupt with something like, I got it. The essence of what you're saying is X. I'm, I'm thinking of something else I want to run by you, so I get them to completely change the topic, and that can often help. Or, and again, and again in complete candor, if the person is often self-absorbed, and I know that once they get rolling, they're going to stay rolling, I'm going to do whatever I can to minimize my interaction with that person. Even if they're my cube mate, I'm going to try first with nonverbal cues to get bury my get my head down in my work. I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to even if I'm saying hi. I don't want to be rude. So if I'm passing a cube, I'll say hey, and then I'll make sure I'm walking by and I don't stop. Because you know I just you know some people really like chattiness. It's not me, and many people they wonder where the day went. They wonder where the hour went, and they because they're, they're nice people they want to be polite and they they want to listen to that person talk about their kids quinceanera or bar mitzvah or whatever and they really the person doesn't really give a crap about that person's quinceanera the parent doesn't even know the person doesn't even know that person so you've got to have the art of extricating yourself there's another tool i like i use this when i'm at a um a, one of those meet and greets at um you know conferences or trade shows or whatever uh, or at a party and somebody's bending my ear, and I just have had enough. What I do is, at the first time they stop for a breath, I will stick my hand out and say, it was good talking with you. I'm going to go get something to drink. Or I'm going to go to the bathroom. Sticking your hand out is a really good way to end it. It's really clear, you know, unless they're really narcissistic, that you're, uh, you're ending it. Okay. Um, if you would like some help with your work-related problem, I do what are called workovers. Usually no pummeling involved, whether you're 16 or 76. Uh, nonprofit, for-profit, self-employed, contemplating self-employment. The only common denominator is you've got a work problem, and frankly, the tougher the better, because I've been doing this now for almost 30 years, and um, I've heard it pretty much all, and I think uh, I like the challenge. So if you've got a really bad work problem, whatever, uh, the phone number here, work with Marty Namco and KALW, 415-841. Four one three four. That's four one five eight four one forty one thirty four. Now I'm covering the, the the gamut here, in terms of these tickler situations. I imagine all of us at some point has had a coworker or a supervisee or a boss who smells bad, bo bad breath, whatever. Most people are too little embarrassed to bring it up. I think tactfully done. Bringing it up is the greatest gift you can... Not the greatest, that's a lie. It's a great gift you can give to someone because they are going to pay a price for that B.O. or bad breath. 
And so if you bring it up, you could make improve their life so much. So I'd say something like this. This is awkward for me to bring up, but my motives come from a good place. I want to be helpful. My coworkers and I notice that you you often have B.O. I, I apologize if I'm being too intrusive. So I use a tone of voice that made it really seem very apologetic. And I also didn't want it all to rest on me. So I said, my coworkers and I. So that's how, that's what I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to turn you, my dear listeners, into a clone of Marty Nemco. I'm merely telling you how I would handle nine ticklish situations. Another, let's say a person's made an unfair comment. Let's take an issue du jour, sexism. While both men and women can be guilty of sexism, these days I have far more often heard unfair disparagement of the male gender. So I'm going to use that as an example. Let's say you're in the workplace and you hear a woman blithely say, and I've heard this, oh, most men are jerks. I mean, you never even hear the word jerk applied to a woman. Well, if I heard that, my real feeling would be I'm offended at that incorrect sexism. There are, there are jerks of both genders and there are good people of both genders. And most of us are somewhere in the middle. So I probably wouldn't wait even to discuss it with this person privately. I would want others to hear my truth about this because I feel pretty, pretty on solid ground here. So while I would try to stay measured in my tone, I would be direct. I'd say something like, you know, it's no fairer, let alone more accurate, to say that most men are jerks than to say that all blacks are whatever. Now, I understand that I'm still in the role here. I understand that the zeitgeist tolerates such statements about men today. But I really deeply believe it's unfair, frankly, downright sexist. It's only going to make relations between the population's two halves, between the men and women in this workplace, more difficult. I'm sure that's not what you want to do. And then I'm not going to ask for an apology. You know, that's, that person's got to feel really embarrassed, maybe even get really angry. Frankly, if that person got angry, I probably just would walk out. There's, when they're hot, it is not a good time to have a discussion about such an issue. I'd probably say, you know, I'd probably just say, excuse me, and I would walk out. If I had the, you know, I'm a human being, and so, you know, I'm not always as perfectly in control as that, but if I were at my best, I would say that in a measured tone, and if I got an, un, an angry, what I felt was an unfair response, I would probably say, excuse me, and I would and try to walk out. Okay, another one. Um, this is a much less controversial. It's the last one uh, of the nine. Um, unfortunately, this is about if you're, you have an adult child, and your adult child is failing to launch. Unfortunately, this has is just too common a problem. Um, of course, what I would say would depend on the child, uh, would depend also on the source of the problem. Usually there's more than one source. And it would depend on what's worked or not in my previous efforts to help my kid. But let's take the stereotype. Stereotype is of someone who, after a long and expensive college education, claims that he is still searching for the right career, but he's mainly just sleeping late, spending lots of time in front of a screen, or getting high with a friend or a romantic partner. I'm sure it wouldn't be the first time I would have a come-to-Jesus meeting with my kid like that, but this is the sort of thing I would say. I'm sure, Johnny, that you're sick and tired of our discussing this, but, you know, I love you, I'm your dad, I feel we should give it another try. Now, tell me if I'm missing something. By the way, that's again allowing him to save a little face. Tell me if I'm missing something. I like that phrase. 
You say you'd like to be self-supporting. So I'm trying to use his own language and his own goals. You say you'd like to be self-supporting, but you're not sure of what career to pursue. Well, you remember you saw that college's career council they have at the college, and she said that you're a good fit in any people-centric career in the nonprofit sector, and yet you've, you've only applied for a few jobs, and you haven't done much networking. You're, by your own admission, your LinkedIn profile is only a shell. Dear Johnny, can you honestly think about what's keeping you from really trying to launch your career? So every step of the way, I'm, 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 you know, I'm being, I'm being as direct as I can be without creating too much alienation. I'm saying, you know, I'm sure I, I preempt the objection right away. I'm sure you're sick and tired of our discussing this. I then lead by saying, I'm your dad. I love you. And I and then saying, asking, tell me if I'm missing something to give him some measure of agency. I to invoke his own words. He says you, he says he'd like to be self-supporting, so I'm just using his own words. And that he's not sure what career to pursue, but then I, you know, because deep down I think that's BS, because you know he he saw a good uh, career counselor at the college, who told him that he'd be perfect fit in you know there's many people-centric nonprofit jobs in the Bay Area, so without nailing him to the cross about it. I just, and, and again, trying to keep a measured tone, I say, you know, you saw the the college's career counselor, and she said you were a good fit for any people-centric career in the nonprofit sector. See, by keeping my voice more modulated, he's going to be less likely to escalate into a fight. And then, but I'm just going to state the facts. I'm not rendering an opinion. I said, yeah, you've only applied for a few jobs, and you haven't done much networking. I didn't say, as far as I knew, he had done no networking. But I didn't want to, you know, whenever you take an extreme position, you go, oh, I did network. I went to this thing. I went to this meet and greet, this, this drinking, no, no, no. So, you know, I was careful to say you haven't done much networking. And then again, I used his own words. I said, your LinkedIn profile is by your own admission only a shell. Can you think honestly, and I, and I like to use the word honestly, Instead of telling him, would you please try starting launching your career? I said, can you think honestly of what's keeping you from really trying to launch your career? I asked a question to invoke his thinking. So within that 30-second little statement, uh, I like to think there was a number of principles that were relevant. In any case, I'd like to give out the phone number if you have a career-related problem. Um, The phone number here at Work With Marty Nemco, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Um, I think I've milked that to death. Um, Now I want to talk about a a certain kind of person who used to be talked about in in, years past, but doesn't get talked about very much, but is absolutely at risk of failure in their career and in in, in the workplace, even though very often they have enormous potential. And that is what I call, that is what we're called type A people. These are people who tend to hurry, speak quickly, quick to anger. They're often very, very bright. And because they do things fast, they tend to accomplish a lot, although or tend to be error-prone. Um, they're very intense, and most normal, quote, n- mainstream, more normative people look down on them because they are not in the middle. They are faster than most. They are quicker to anger than most. They are more intolerant than most. They're all of that. Well... The good news is that while it's extremely difficult for a type A to become a type B, making a few smart choices can result in a type A having quite a good career and a personal life. 
Maybe the most important thing is to pick your spots. Choose work. Choose your romantic partners. Choose your friends. Choose your recreations that bring out the best in a type A. Type A's are generally happiest and most successful being either self-employed where they can control the situation because when they don't have a lot of control, that's when they tend to lose it. So either being self-employed or working for a high-intensity startup. That brings out, that feeds their personality. Now, typically, a corporate job or a nonprofit job is a bad choice because those tend to require patience, collaboration, and a mild perkiness. You know, every time I go into, I do a fair amount of consulting with corporations and nonprofits, and everybody has got this pleasantly, mildly perky demeanor. They're mildly upbeat. They're not ecstatic. They're not depressed. They're this mildly perky. They're almost like Stepford wives in some ways, and of course, husbands. In any case, that is the opposite of the type A person's predisposition toward being boldly individualistic and being angry and impatient with processes and rules and what they perceive as stupidity, which sometimes it is stupidity. But most people who make it in a bureaucracy, whether it be in a government agency or a nonprofit or a corporation, can think that there's stupidity and stupid processes, but they hold it in. Or they just don't get that upset. They just, they just roll. They're, by nature or whatever, they roll with it. Similarly, you know, while this show focuses on work, I, I, I feel like I should spend just a moment talking about uh, friendships as well, in and outside of the workplace. Type A's are wise normally to make friends with people who are type B's. Type B is somebody who is more relaxed, less likely to interrupt, slow to anger. They can be still very intelligent, but they are not, they're not tra- hair trigger. So that if a type A, you know, he loves the idea of, or she loves the idea of arguing, that type B was more likely to listen, reflect back, take some time, not escalate the thing, Right. Because when type A's tend to be friends with other type A's, it tends to leave lousy friendships. Sure, it's a nice little adrenaline rush for a little while, but that doesn't, to, fancy, to use the fancy word, it's inimical to enduring quality friendships. Um, anger. I mentioned briefly that anger is a signature characteristic of type A's. And it is really hard for a type A to be less anger-prone because they go from zero to 60 in one second. And as I mentioned... You know, the type A really should pursue work and relationships that are unlikely to trigger their anger, like I like I had mentioned. And also just avoid situations likely to make you angry. I am not an extreme type A, but I am a type A. And one of the situations that triggers me is when I'm on a panel, especially if I'm on a panel where I disagree with most of the people on the panel. I can't control my face. So I'm forced, you know, so my face, I make these facial expressions that I don't mean to be that are disparaging. Or I might be interruptive. I might be, you know, even tempted to be rude. Or I'm so careful to not do that that I'm, it's like I have duct tape over my mouth and I'm frustrated. So I will almost never accept an invitation to be on a panel. Keynote speech, absolutely. Workshop, if I'm available. But panel, I almost always avoid it. Know thyself, as Shakespeare said, know thyself. Know what's going to trigger you, especially if you're a type. If you're a type B, like my wife, you can roll with any, almost any situation. But if you know you can get triggered, really ask yourself, are you asking for trouble in this situation? Arguing. I'm not saying that a type A shouldn't argue, but they should generally try to do their arguing in writing. 
when they're verbally debating an issue, it makes the already intense type A person more so, which likely turns off their debating opponent and the onlookers. If you do it in writing, if you do your arguing in writing, you, you have the time to mitigate your annoying tone, your annoying tendency to interrupt. As long as you force yourself to carefully review your drafts, maybe forcing yourself to slow down by reading it aloud, you can make your points with fewer errors and probably engender far less antipathy from the people who are the recipients of your pearls of wisdom. So, whatever it is, consider writing blog posts with your opinions, uh, tweets, a book, whatever. But verbally, again, everybody's different. Not all type A's are the same. But if you're that kind of person, think about doing your arguing and writing. Even if in the workplace, you know, let's say you violently disagree with something that gets said in a staff meeting. Ask yourself whether it'd be wise to shut up, but afterwards send a memo. Okay. Now, most type A's suffer big time at work and in their personal life. But these tips that I've suggested have helped many of my clients who are type A's actually, and this may surprise you, be glad that they're type A. They don't they wouldn't want to be kicked back, laid back, whatever. They're they're proud of their high energy of getting a lot of stuff done, what they consider their passion, even if it translates to anger. But hopefully some of these tips will help you or the type A person in your life to be able to derive the benefits of being type A without the very often significant liabilities, especially in the corporate, government, or nonprofit workplace. All right, uh, if you have a work-related problem, the phone number here, work with Marty Nenko for a work over, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Um, I have, you know, very often my clients are trying to be more influential with others in the workplace, with their peers, with their supervisees, with their boss. And there's a lot that has been written on the art of influence, but many of my clients find that kind of advice too difficult to implement. But they've had more success in trying to influence somebody's behavior or their attitude by, when it's appropriate, using the following. These are 31 words I put together. Um, the, these words, you know, and they're also really good. You know, we're all being manipulated, whether it be by our bosses, our coworkers, by a politician's commercial, politician's speech. The most potent influencing word is the word you. I'll use these in a sentence. What do you want? What do you really want? The word you completely engages people, makes them feel you care about them, but it's a technique like anything else. These, all these words are techniques. Now, of course, we use them sometimes without it being a technique, but believe me, you know, so many managers, bosses, and especially politicians have been well-trained in the art of influencing. I happen to know there was a place called the Rockridge Institute that was uh, put together a, a bunch of brilliant linguists and the like to pr help Barack Obama become president, and they identified key words, key phrases, and every and 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 the, they came up with a with a handbook, which got sent to every single elected Democratic um, candidate, and. Uh, incumbent. And I'll tell you a lot more of those words in a minute. But now we've got calls on the line, so let's go to the phones. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. It's your turn on the air. How can I help you? Hello. It's, it's you. Are you me? It is. 
<laughs> wow. I'm so overwhelmed. I was just listening to you. I'm just so blown away by everything you're saying. I don't even know what I want to ask you. <laughs> I guess what I want to ask you is like, I always feel like all those qualities about me make me a bad person. And it's just really interesting to like hear you like, yeah, I'm kind of quick to anger. I don't do panels. Like it's just mind blowing. Like how do you accept that this is how you are? I am without hating myself. It's a wonderful question. <laughs> and I'm going to try to give you a candid answer. Cause like I said, I'm a type A too. <laughs> I love you. I want to work with you, by the way. You're so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Believe me, that makes a difference to me. I, I care a lot about that. I hate some things about myself. I, I kick myself every time I'm not measured and I lose, you know, if I get angry. Fortunately, as, as I've gotten older, I'm less. But I just do put my... I realize that all of us, like, I'm a very good pianist, a really good pianist. I was born, almost born as a pianist, but I'm a terrible artist. I'm terrible. I'm looking at Shingo Yamada, this wonderful technology person here at KELW. He's a master at electronics, at computers, at radios, and whatever. And, you know, I could never do what he does. Never in a million years. I accept my strengths and I accept my weakness. We are all mm -hmm. a rose. We are a rose. We all have thorns. And we all have a flower. And the key is to put ourselves where our flower is appreciated. And I know that sounds simplistic. Mm. Is there any legitimacy to that? You're not going to be perfect. You're going to get angry. You're going to get PO'd, mm. all the rest of it. Forgive yourself, baby. And in mm. instead, celebrate the, the good stuff that being type A brings. Is that fair or am I being simplistic, honestly? No, I mean, I think it's amazing. I just think we live in a culture that I feel like no matter how much good I do, which is a lot, <laughs> um, that my when I am quick to anger, like I feel like then I'm just written off. It's just not a thing our culture likes. It doesn't. Let me give you a tip. If you know you're in a situation where you're likely to get angry, you can preempt the objection. And, and let's say you're at a meeting and you know you're going to have a lot to say. And it's going to not be so measured and nicey-nicey. So mm -hmm. saying something like, you know, please forgive my tone. My intentions are good. I just have a big adrenal gland, and so <laughs> I tend to be quick. Right, make a little humor about it. So by <laughs> making them aware of it and, and owning it, it makes them less likely to be PO'd at you. Is it going to always work? Mm -hmm. Of course not. But by owning mm -hmm. it can really help. Do you think that might help in some situations for you? Oh, my God. Please forgive my tone. I am, like, kind of feeling up right now. I'm not angry. I'm just a little escalated. That would be brilliant. I think that I think you might actually change my life. Who are you? I don't even know your name. I'm Marty Nemco. I've been doing this radio show for almost 30 years. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a career coach who does, who's privileged to do this every Thursday night. From seven to eight. Oh my God. I am like, I don't even know what else to say. I feel like anything else you want to tell me, please forgive my tone, is probably one of the best things because that's what everyone says. And I interrupt a lot. I get excited. Me sure, me too. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. it, and it's forgive yourself. I've tried to not interrupt as much over the years, and I still interrupt. Mm -hmm. You know what? It's just a human flaw. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do for now mm -hmm. is I'm just going to give you a metaphorical hug over the airwaves and <laughs> encourage you to accept yourself and put yourself in places where you fit and get the people who are, who are going to be too dismissive of you because you say you do contribute a lot. Get those other people as much as you can out of your life. Better to have... <laughs> look, I will never have a million friends, but I have a few people who treasure me for who I am. 
That's all you can hope. And I have a wife who's a laid-back type B, you know, wonderful woman. She accepts me for who I am. Find the few people who accept you for who you are. Oh, my God. I cannot thank you enough. Like, really, the the timing, the beauty. I'm in such gratitude, such mm-hmm. sincere. How do you spell your last name? It's N-E-M-C-O? K-O. Yeah, and I'm filled with gratitude for you. Believe me, you know, you don't think, you know, I'm a human being too. You don't think it makes me feel good to hear you say that? But enough of that, enough of this mutual admiration society. Go forth and do good <laughs> Go things. Go help somebody else. All right. You, you too. You'll be well. <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. Bye. I'll give bye. out the phone number again. Let's see if I can be of help to somebody else. I don't know if I can change their life, or, but I'll do my best. I promise. The phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Back to the phones. Welcome to the show. It is your turn on the air. How can I help you? Yes, thank you. Um, so I recently um, learned I'm going to be laid off, actually, um, as of tomorrow. Uh-huh. And I'm taking some time to reflect on the fact that five years ago um, I had a similar situation. And, you know, like many things, some of it is structural factors, but I think some of it um, could have been cards that I might have played differently. I don't know that I'm the type A you're describing because I'm not quick to anger, but you're not. I'm I very self-directed, and I'm not necessarily the best team player. So I've been told by many close to me that I'll never be professionally satisfied unless I'm doing something on my own. And I've dabbled in consulting a little bit, but it was never enough to sustain you know, the mortgage and all the other various and sundry responsibilities we have in life. So... I got a small severance, not not much, maybe six weeks, um, and you know I have money in the bank. However, I, I'm having some trouble figuring out. Uh, I, I don't even know. I can't articulate. You know, my passion, my drive. I mean, people say I'd be great training others in public speaking. Um, other people, because I've worked a lot in pretty high-level corporate marketing jobs, they say, well, you should be an independent creative director. But you know, I will immediately look at all the talented competition being realistic and knowing you're not going to tomorrow hang out the sign and have clients so I guess I'm wondering two things one are there any um, and I'm not a big fan of Myers-Briggs but some sort of uh, diagnostic tool or book that I could take that then would sort of spit out after I finished the questionnaire some suggestions of entrepreneurial ventures that might be suited to to me as based on the results of, of said test. I wish there were. And then I guess the me, other I'm going to interrupt. I'm gonna, oh, go ahead. All right, yes. go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, no, and I'll be finished. And then the other is just some realistic, I guess, hard stops to, if I choose not to, I mean, already falling into the trap of applying for corporate jobs, and I could be in the same place again in two or three years or five years. So how much time and how much money should I be willing to invest in trying to find an entrepreneurial career and possibly start a business? I know that's no small task before I look at, my goodness, I've drawn down, you know, uh, 20% of my savings and and I'm 50. So I'm not going to be able to necessarily replenish that, you know, in the next five years. So I Gosh darn it, have to get off my duff and just start applying for another corporate job again. Okay. Um, I am a, a minority among the career counseling professions. Career counselors tend to, especially since they tend to be self-employed, they tend to encourage others to be self-employed, especially when the client opens the door for that, as you have. I am not a big fan of it. 
A guy who's been laid off twice, it's not like there's some superstar who's going to be able to really get a large book of business right away. Just because you could train people in public speaking, it's real soft skill stuff. The consultants who really make it are those who have really strong software implementation expertise. For example, in adapting Oracle or some, you know, or, or some, some machine learning paradigm or whatever. Um, you're pretty soft skilled and been laid off twice in five years. I think your smart money uh, off, you know, given the limits of what can occur in a phone conversation, especially given that you're 50, would be to see if if there are a lessons to be learned from from your uh, let's say your failures, because usually you say some of it's structural, but some of it's you, and then in really ask yourself: Are there particular vertical markets where you would be better as a senior marketing person in the uh, uh, you know either either in the corporate or in the even in the nonprofit sector? And then during the interview process, vetting them carefully to be sure that the, the, the kind of work, the kind of boss, the kind of culture is going to be well suited to you. I think your probabilities of success and contentment are probably greater than if you spent six months, a year, two years trying to build the kind of income that even comes close to being, say, director level uh, corporate marketing person. What's, your, what's your, your reaction to my analysis? Well, I think it's very sound, uh, and I thank you for raising that point because I like to collect lots of different points of data. So to hear that perspective in contrast to those just saying, you know, start your own thing, get out there, uh, I think it's it's sobering, but it's uh, very realistic. I mean, I will take that to heart. I think some of it again is um, <laughs> I've been fortunate. I won't. I, I'm not going to um, uh, deny that in landing some pretty well-compensated positions, and, and a couple of them in the same vertical, which is healthcare. Mm. It's just I'm not good at playing politics, and I'm not good at, I mean, I'm polite and I'm professional, but um, I, have a hard, uh, I have a hard time with the word compliance. <laughs> I just want to get the result and not necessarily follow the rules. And so at 50, I don't know if that's retrainable, no, I, I don't want you to retrain. I'm going to interrupt to you because I'm a type A and also for my listeners, I want to be quicker. It seems to me I'm not, I, I, you know, I find that ultimately from almost a cosmic perspective, being a, a meticulous rule follower is, is not in human beings' interest. So I'm not going to mind you being a rule bender. I've just been reading a biography called Leadership by Doris Kearns Goodwin about four presidents. And FDR's, one of his signature characteristics, he self-defined as a rule bender. He always always finding a way around the rules, but it doesn't mean that you need to pay the necessarily the biggest price. So, as I said, in the course of, of the interview process, branding yourself, saying I am not some a good little soldier who's just going to do everything by the book. When I think the greater good accrues from bending the rules, figuring out a way to cut red tape, figuring out to, to you know to come up with a clever idea. I'm going to do it. And if that employer says, oh, no, you know, this is not like Lockheed where you've got to follow the rules meticulously. You know, if it's, if it's a company that's got a little more flexibility, they will embrace you. And again, you can preempt. Let's say you're, you're, you're wanting to skirt a rule and you're afraid of getting bitten in the butt because you did it. Then fine. Ask your boss permission. Say, hey, you know, I think we can get around this rule and get this accomplished by doing this. So... What if I said that that's really the plan? Be a rule bender, but let it be known in the interview. In fact, even in your cover letters, even in your resume bullets, 
Talk about how the fact that you're flexible and have adapted and you haven't just slavishly followed the rules. What do you think? Is there any legitimacy? I like it. I, I like it. I mean, you're basically counseling to sort of own your personal brand and just present it in a way. And, and, and understandably, this is a, a world of odds. There may be a minority of those that want to embrace that message, but that's the secret sauce, and so you have to try and find that. So I, I, I think I understand uh, what you're suggesting, and I appreciate it, and I thank you for it. You're welcome. Thanks for calling and work with Marty Nemco. Bye-bye. Bye. And give out the phone number again. If you have a work-related problem, uh, whether you're a senior-level person like this or a much more junior person, a younger person, an older person, the only common denominator you got a serious work problem, and you wouldn't mind some free advice, which hopefully is worth the price. Phone number 415-841-4134. That's the phone number here. Work with Marty Nemco and KALW. 415-841-4134. Before I went to the phones, I was uh, sharing the fact that there are uh, assembled a group of 31 influencing words, words that are really powerful when you're trying to influence people in the workplace and also are being used on you. Not just by salespeople and not just by politicians, not just by fundraisers, but by your coworkers and well-trained bosses. So I want you to become aware of, of those so you, you, you can either use them for good ends, hopefully, and be aware when they're using them on you to get you to do their bidding. So I mentioned the first one was you. Like, what do you want? What do you really want? The next word that's really potent is imagine. Imagine you didn't care what anyone thought. What would you do? Imagine. Powerful word. Helpful is another one. What can I do to be helpful? It's a great thing to say to your boss. Makes the boss breathe. What can I do to be helpful? Next one, another one is care. For now, do you want to take better care of yourself or do you have other priorities? Care. It's a very powerful influencing word. Smart. You see everything, you know, smart recoveries, smart foods, smart is a very powerful word used by advertisers, used in, in, in business. So I, I'm using each of these in a sentence. I'm wondering if this approach might be smart. What do you think? Smart, powerful word. Notice they're also short words. Short words tend to have punch. Wise. That's one of my favorites because wise goes beyond being smart. So I might say, what would the wise person within you, <laughs> using the word you again, what would the wise person within you do in the situation? That invokes your highest self. We all have wiser and less wise selves. We have Some of us have downright you know, um, idiots <laughs> within ourselves. But what would the wise person within you do in the situation? Next word in these 31 influencing words is special. I'll use it in a sentence. We, and that's another powerful word we'll get to later, we, we all want to feel special. Is there anything you're doing, and I'm using the you word, is there anything you're doing to be special that you might want to do more of? Special, powerful word. Peace of mind. That's three words, but that's all. That's one of the phrase. I'll use it in a sentence. I'm wondering whether if you cut back your spending, you'd have more peace of mind. It's something that everybody wants, especially in these stressful times. And then end with, what do you think, which are the four most powerful words in the English language. What do you think? Next one of the 31 influencing words, control. With our, and again, that word we and our, all that collective stuff is really in, especially here in the Bay Area. 
With our complicated lives, it's easy to feel out of control. That's the, the, the power word there. Might there be some baby step that would help you regain a bit of control? It's a powerful word. Easier. That's another powerful word. I found this approach to be easier. Might that work for you? Again, that you word is powerful, powerful, powerful. There was a study done of political candidates, by the way, in the debates in, I think, the 2008 election. And Barack Obama was trained to use the word you and we and not the word I. So he used you and we a ton, and his opponents used the word I. And it was it's a very potent technique. Something else, this is not a word, but there have been studies that show that photographs of people looking to the right are seen as more forward-thinking because we read from left to right. It seems forward. You're moving in the forward direction. So whenever you see a picture and the person is looking to the right, it could be random. Obviously, it's 50-50, but it's a, it's a technique. Note, remember that Hillary Clinton's uh, bumper sticker was a blue arrow pointing right. So, and again, you can use it yourself. When you're taking a photo of its a profile, it couldn't hurt for you to be facing right. Okay, uh, the next of the 31 influencing words, unearth. Do you, th- do you, again, the word you, do you think it's worth the effort to unearth a better apartment? Unearth. Inspiration. I find inspiration in biographies of people like Albert Ellis, Anne Frank, and Jonas Salk. What inspires you? That word inspiration, inspire. We all want to feel inspired. Powerful words. This one, next one is really powerful. It's hope. Everyone needs hope. I know someone with end-stage cancer whose hope lies in teaching life lessons to his children and grandchildren that come to visit him. Anything might give you hope? Hope. Very powerful. And by my invoking somebody with stage stage 4 cancer, without my saying, you know, invoking guilt, you know, there are people starving in Africa, it's reminding them that their situation is far less bad than uh, somebody who's got stage 4 cancer. So, hope. Really powerful word. I'll give out the phone number again. You have a work-related problem. The phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Whatever your work problem is, I usually can help. Uh, Next powerful word is protect. These days, what do you most care to protect yourself against? Protect. These days, what do you most care to protect yourself against? Those, again, powerful words that exist in every influencer handbook. Health. Our, our, again, I'm going to use that we word, our physical and mental health can feel fragile. Is there any aspect of your, again, using the you word, your health that you're thinking about? Think of all the power words in there. Our physical and mental health can feel fragile. Is there any aspect of your health that you're thinking about? That totally is engaging, totally powerful. Great to use these words when you're trying to influence somebody and beware of when they're using them with you if we don't want you unduly influenced. This next one is advertising's maybe number one word, new. 
Is there anything new you're thinking about these days? Um, next is the word safe. When and where do you feel safe, really comfortable? Very potent word, safe. Forward. Again, that was the Barack Obama's uh, bumper sticker. You know, forward. And so, again, in a sentence, and that's true in every... What's a baby step you could take to move forward? His, his That was forward, I think, was the second... His second campaign's slogan. His first was the word change. It's a very potent word again. I'll use it in a sentence. There was a time I finally felt ready to change for a fresh start. How about you? Again, the word you. Change. Very, very potent. Stand. You know, we, we're not allowed to appear that we want to be too aggressive. So, you know, you want to take a stand. Stand with me. Stand. That's the politicians are using it all the time. Of course, it's easy to stand. It doesn't require any work. Would you stand with me? That's a very carefully crafted phrase. So I'll use it in a sentence. Is there anything you, again, that word you, deeply believe in that you find it hard to take a stand about? Another one of these influencing words is risky. That approach is so experimental, and its risk-reward ratio seems poor, but what do you think? Risky. That was a term also that, you know, I, I keep using the examples of the, uh, the Democratic operatives because I was familiar with the Rockridge Institute that was created to, to use, to create these phrases. They came up with the word risky scheme. They called everything the Republicans did a risky scheme uh, because they knew that who could be in favor of risky scheme? It's very, it feels scary, risky. So, you know, when you're trying to convince somebody to do something that you think is a bad idea, you could do worse than to use the word risky or risk. And when you hear somebody else telling you it's risky or a risky scheme, again, that's a power-influencing word. Another one of those influencing words is free. And this is, again, a standard old advertising word. Um, so, as we're starting this business and thinking about our, again, our, not me, as we are starting this business and thinking about our startup expenses, we should always think, how can we get this for free? Maybe a church school has em- an empty classroom they might let us have for free, or at least at very low cost, and then end that with, what do you think? Do you see all these very powerful words? can make all the difference. It's unfortunate that humankind were all so vulnerable to these manipulations. But as the influencing science gets ever more sophisticated, um, we need to be ever more girded to it. And we, you know, clearly we don't want to render ourselves impotent. So using those words as long as they're for good ends are, are very powerful. Another one of those words that's very powerful is now. I'll use it in a sentence. If we do it now we can avoid the guilt of procrastination. I know it's a pain, but what do you think? Again, that what do you think? Now, very potent word. Choices is another one. Everybody likes choices. It would seem you have three choices, A, B, and C. Which do you think is wisest? Again, I'm using that wise word. Choices, a very powerful word. Another powerful word that you wouldn't think is, but it is, is the word because. I'll use it in a sentence. I put those little plants that I grow from seed in the break room, not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because I want to be perceived by my coworkers as a good guy. 
Do you want to try to do something like that? Again, the word you, asking questions, these are powerful words. And now I've made uh, mention a number of times in the previous words about these connector words. We, together, all, us, connect, join. So I'll use it in a sense. We should all connect, join together. Together we can make a bigger difference. Right? Those terms, we, join, us, all, connect, together, community, they may be the core concept in today's zeitgeist. Today's zeitgeist, especially in the Bay Area, de-emphasizes competition. Yes, of course, in the highest levels of Silicon Valley, it's there. But in the general, overall Bay Area, competition is almost seen as a dirty word, too capitalistic, and it's more of an I word. In today's zeitgeist, things like competition, individual initiative, are giving way to more collaboration, teamwork, sharing, connecting. And that's why among the newer, most potent words are we join together, connect, all. Now, there are, I want to end with just a few words that are uh, still considered powerful influencing words, but I believe they're fading in utility, especially in the Bay Area for the reasons I pointed out. So, as I mentioned, words like I and win and winner and compete and even success now conflict with America's zeitgeist, or at least the Bay Area especially zeitgeist, which is less hierarchy, less competition, more collaboration, more inclusive, more redistributive to society's have-nots. Also, these were... The, I'm going to give you one more list of words... Uh, especially among educated people, they're falling out of favor because they're seen as hype. Words like instant, quick, amazing, awesome, fantastic, a secret. Unfortunately, no matter how often and how appropriately we use those words, there are no instant secrets that are quick, awesome, and downright fantastic and amazing. But I hope you'll at least find some of those words helpful. And... um, uh, and help for you to resist some of other people's attempts to manipulate you. In any case, that is work with Marty Nemko for this week. I want to thank my board operator, Debbie Kennedy, and, of course, all of you for listening and calling in. Please join me again next Thursday at 7. You can call in for a workover, plus 14 contrarian career ideas. For example, why, when I call and mention the Myers-Briggs, it's more of a horoscope than a test. So, until then, this is Marty Nemko reminding you that we find comfort among those who agree with us, Growth among those who don't. For the archives of Dr. Marty Nemco's articles, information on his 11 books, including his new one, Careers for Dummies, plus how you can consult privately with Marty, go to martynemco.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-N-E-M-K-O.com. And you can join Marty again next Thursday evening at 7 for Work with Marty Nemco here on 91.7 KALW San Francisco.